Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Are you someone that truly wants to understand the revelation of God found in the New Testament? If you were to say, yes, I do, how's the best way to accomplish that? By understanding the revelation of God in the Old Testament. Both Testaments work together in order that we can rightly understand God's truth, His message to us, so that we can be found faithful, receive His blessings, and take hold of kingdom promises. And those individuals that teach, they want to unhitch the New Testament from the Old Testament. That is a very dangerous thing to do. And why do I say such things? Well, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Matthew and chapter 26. The book of Matthew and chapter 26. Now, we've just completed a study when Messiah taught concerning the last days and how to be ready, how important it is to be prepared for what will take place in this time of transition, the time of transition from this world into the millennial kingdom. He taught several things concerning the last days. And now, beginning in our chapter today, chapter 26, there's a change. He's going to be speaking about Passover. And here's the simple truth. If we're going to understand to the degree that God wants us to about Messiah's work, the most important thing that he entered into this world to do when he came the first time, it all took place within the context of Passover. And as we'll see in a few weeks, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And if we don't understand Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, what the Word of God teaches us concerning these things in the Old Testament, then we will not be able to understand the revelation of God found in the New Testament. Now, let's begin Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to begin in verse 1. We read here, And it came about when Yeshua had completed all these words. What words are we referring to? He completed teaching about the end times, how to be ready, prepared for what must take place. So it's after these conclusions of the teachings of the last days, we read that he said to his disciples, now look at verse 2, you know that after two days, the Passover is. Now, it says, after two days. Now, we've learned before that such a term is, in one sense, meaningless. Because after two days, this could be three days, five days, a hundred days, a million days. After is very 
unclear. What's the message? Well, what we should glean from that is the number two. He wanted to use the number two because numbers in the Bible have meaning. They have significance. And normally the number two, when it appears in the scripture, it speaks about two different, usually in conflict, contrasting opinions. And we're going to see that concerning Passover, that Passover, there was a big difference in what Messiah was teaching, what he knew was going to take place, and what the disciples thought. So it says, after two days, we are to take away from that, that there's going to be a contrasting understanding concerning that Passover between Yeshua and the disciples. Look again at this entire verse, verse 2. You know that after two days is the Passover. In regard to Passover, it says, and the Son of Man will be betrayed, delivered over unto crucifixion, to be crucified. Now, there's two things we need to see. First of all, when Passover, if you don't understand what the Old Testament says concerning Passover, you're going to lose a big message of this text. First and foremost, Passover is a day of preparation. It is the preparation for redemption. So Passover is connected to redemption and being ready for God's redemption. The second thing that we are taught about Passover in the Old Testament is that Passover relates to death. Now, why would that be the case? Because Passover, something has got to die. And there's a choice. It can either be that Passover lamb or the firstborn. That's what the book of Exodus chapter 12 tells us. Take that lamb, you, you prepare it properly, you bring it into your home. It's there for almost five days. And on the 14th day of the month of spring, Aviv, you must slaughter it at Jerusalem. We see the first time it was, of course, in Egypt. So the Passover lamb had to die death. And if you didn't keep the Passover, those instructions, who would die? The firstborn. And the firstborn is uniquely tied to an inheritance. And why is that important? Because without keeping Passover, it is going to affect one's inheritance, meaning what happens when one dies? Passover is a day that has implications stretching long into the future. In fact, properly we could say Passover has eternal implications. But here's the problem. Yeshua was saying this, and notice how specific he is. He says, after two days, Passover is coming. When the Son of Man is going to be delivered over, he's going to be betrayed, and ultimately to be crucified. That tells us something. It tells us that Messiah is going to die. And remember, the number two, two different opinions. In contrast, the disciples did not want to accept, even though Yeshua said many times, 
he was going to Jerusalem for Passover, and he would be delivered over, betrayed to the hands of the chief priests, elders, and scribes, but ultimately he would be crucified, that means by Rome, and he would die. The disciples, they never grasped that. They did not want to receive it. They didn't understand it. And that's why the number two appears in this passage. So we read that he is going to be delivered over and put to death by crucifixion. Now let's look, if we could, to verse three, then. And this means in that, that time period, when these things are happening, the next thing that we can expect is exactly what it says here. Exactly when Yeshua was teaching that, then we see that the high priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people, they, they were, were taking counsel in order that they would meet where? In the courtyard of the high priest. And this is an expression. This word courtyard can also mean a palace. There's a couple different understandings of this word. So they were at the residence of the high priest called Caiaphas. So they were taking counsel for what purpose? Well, look if you would to, to verse 3. It says here that they were taking counsel for a reason. And that is that they might seize Yeshua. And notice this next word. The next word is a word which means by, by guile, that is deceitfully, not in an upfront, not in an honest way. And here's the problem. This sheds so much light upon the text. We're dealing with three groups of people, the leadership, the religious leadership of Israel. We saw the, the high priests, the scribes who were experts in the, the law and the scripture in general, and also the elders of the people. We are told that they gathered together. They were at the courtyard, the residence, perhaps the palace of the high priests, and they had come together taking counsel for a reason. And that it says that they could seize, take hold of Yeshua. And they wanted to do so through deceitful means, not according to the truth. This speaks of the corruption that was in Jerusalem by the spiritual leaders. And what did they want to do? Look at the end of verse 4. They wanted to put him to death. Verse 5. But they were saying. Now, notice that that verb for saying is in the imperfect. Why is that important? The imperfect speaks about something that began and it continues to the presence at that time, but the use of the imperfect anticipates a change. They were speaking and they were saying, not at the festival. Why? In order that there should not be an uproar, perhaps a riot should be in the people, among the people. Why was this? This tells us something. It tells us that Yeshua was popular at this time. Many people were following him. This was the problem for the Jewish leadership. They were jealous. They didn't mind using deceit, guile, trickery in order to seize him for one purpose, not to find out the truth, 
to see if he had done something truly that, was, that he was guilty for that deserved some punishment. But they had already determined by deceit that they wanted to capture him and to put him to death. And they agreed, we don't want to do it, not at the festival. What festival? The Feast of Unleavened Bread. Passover is just one day, technically. It's known as the Preparation Day. When one would have the lamb prepared, and he would offer him up upon the altar in Jerusalem, always after the first Passover in Egypt, and what took place in the, the wilderness when the children of Israel entered into the land and Jerusalem became the place where the name of God in a unique way was, was there. From that time, Jerusalem was the place that Passover was observed. It was a preparation day for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Many people don't know. You don't eat Passover, that Passover meal on Passover, you eat it on the first day of unleavened bread. Passover is preparation for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so all of this, as we're going to see in the next several weeks when we go through chapters 26, 27, and 28, it all comes within the context of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Verse 6, so Yeshua, he had left the Galilee, he had traveled to Jerusalem because as an observant Jew, he had to be there for this festival. And having arrived, notice what it says. According to his tradition, now that's not in the text, but we know this elsewhere in the Bible. According to his text, Yeshua did not stay in Jerusalem. But somewhere very close to that, the scripture says, but Yeshua, having come into Bethany, on the Mount of Olives. That's where Bethany is located. And of course, the Mount of Olives has special, special relationships to Messiah and his work. So Yeshua, having come to Bethany at the home of Simon the leper. Now, Simon, that name in Hebrew is Shimon. And the fact that he's called the leper means he had been a leper. If he was still with leprosy, he could not be at home. He would have to be banished outside the city. He had been healed. That's what's important. And the implication is, if he was healed, two things stand out. First of all, we know one of the signs of, of the Messiah, according to Isaiah, is that the Messiah would cleanse lepers, heal them from leprosy. And now Yeshua is there eating in one's home, Shimon's home, who had been cured from leprosy. This shines much when a Jewish person of understanding, knowing Judaism and the revelation of the Torah, this speaks boldly, strongly, clearly at his, his messianic call to heal the lepers. And notice what happens. In the midst of that, look at verse 4, verse 7, excuse me. We read, and a woman came to him. So a woman, and whenever women take the forefront of a passage, it changes the context. It changes it to that of redemption. So we're going to understand now why Messiah dies 
for the purpose of redemption. It's Passover, another hint of redemption. Once more, verse 7, And a woman came to him having an alabaster, this would be a container of, of ointment, which was, look at the middle of verse, verse 7, which was very expensive. And she poured it upon his head as he was reclining. Here again, reclining, a hint to Passover. It is a biblical requirement when you eat the Passover meal on the first day of unleavened bread that you partake of it reclining. So another hint within the text that Messiah is being anointed, anointed this very special oil, perfume, ointment. He's being anointed as what? As the one who was sent to do the Passover. Not to keep the Passover as the children of Israel did, but to become the Passover, to be that Passover lamb. He's being anointed, and we're going to see in a moment, he's going to tell us he's anointed for burial. Why? Passover, what should enter into your mind? Death. He's going to die. Now, learn a very important biblical truth. This woman, and we'll see this at the end of this passage, this woman was the only one, none of the disciples knew this or would accept it, acted, behaved based upon this. She knew that he was going to die. No one, even though Messiah had told them over and over, he was going to resurrect from the dead on that third day after being crucified. No one thought about the resurrection. What do we glean from that? No one was thinking about, about the kingdom. They weren't kingdom-minded. But here this woman comes. She anoints him. And notice the outcome. We read once again. She came with this expensive uh, perfume oil in this alabaster container. She poured it upon his head, and he was reclining. Verse 8, but behold, the disciples seeing they were, and the word here is indignant, angry, bothered by this. And they were saying, verse 8, they were saying, for what such a waste? Why is this waste or this loss having taken this perfume that was so expensive and pouring it upon him, it's a waste, a loss to do this. Why? Verse 9, for it would have been able for this to be sold and given, given to sold for much and be given to the poor. So they could have sold this for a lot of money and then given the proceeds to the poor. This was their thinking, or was it? Look now to verse 10. But Yeshua knowing, he knew their thoughts. And what was this showing? Well, instead of being concerned about redemption, instead of being concerned about what Messiah had taught them, how he had prepared them about the significance this year going up to Jerusalem, instead of thinking about those things, what were they concerned about? Money. Money was on their, their minds. And of course, they, they camouflaged this, and we see this in another gospel. They camouflaged this with a, a so-called desire to, to give this money to the poor. Yeshua, knowing this, he said to them, 
Why? For what reason, in other words, bother? For what reason are you bothering the woman? And notice it says the woman specifically. He's emphasizing this one, and we'll see why in a moment. So why are you bothering this woman? For a good work she has done unto me. Now, this woman, she, and this is vital that you see this, she understood Yeshua's statement that he was the Lamb of God, that he was going to die on Passover. And she responded to this. And when we understand the truth and we have faith, it's going to manifest itself by good works. Notice what he says. He says, for she has done unto me a good work. And that is all the outcome of knowing the truth of God, listening to the words of Yeshua and responding properly. So she has done a good work unto me. Verse 11. Now he's going to talk about the poor. He says, for always the poor you will have with you, but me you will not always have. What's the message here? Yeshua again is sharing with his disciples, giving a hint. He's coming to the end of his ministry. He is going to die. Yes, on the third day he will rise, but shortly thereafter, 40 days later, he is going to ascend. He is leaving them. So he's coming to the end of what his heavenly father had sent the only begotten son of God into this world to accomplish. And what was that? to do the work of redemption, to pay that price and understand the emphasis of the Passover is on the blood of the lamb. And that's why it's so important that we emphasize the blood of Messiah, that which was given in order that the covenant, what covenant? A new covenant could be ratified, to be put into effect. And we know we've talked about this much, that this new covenant is a covenant of forgiveness where God boldly and wonderfully proclaims that he will no longer remember our sins. That's how each of us that are believers can have confidence that we're going to be in the kingdom of God. We know we're going to be there because it's not based upon our works, our good deeds confirm. They're not part of the means of salvation. They don't mediate. They don't play a role in that. It's all a free gift. It's God's grace. It's what he has done for us. So it's what his blood ratifies, that new covenant that gives me absolute assurance based upon the fact that he will not remember any of my sins, that I will be in the kingdom of God. So he says, you'll always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Verse, verse 12, for she has poured out, she has poured out this, this ointment, this, this oil upon my body for my burial. She has done this. Now, this to me is one of the most important verses here. He says, she has done this poured out this, this ointment upon my body 
Why his body? Why is that word? We know he, she received it upon his head. Others' feet as well. But here's the message. He says, later on, when he speaks about the Lord's Supper, he's saying, when he took the bread, this is my body given for you. Body, that word soma, appears here as a way of emphasizing Yeshua's going to give all of himself, holding nothing back. It's a complete, a complete sacrifice. So we read here, for she has, has poured out this ointment on my body for my burial. She has done this. Burial again, signifying that he's going to die. This is why she's done it. She knows, she understands what's going to happen to him this Passover. Verse 13, our last verse. Truly I say to you, wherever the, the gospel, this gospel is proclaimed in all the world. Now notice, what has he done? He's tying his death and resurrection, but here his death too, that gospel message. And what is the gospel message? Well, it's good news about redemption. And this word, by the way, we have it in Greek, but it appears in Isaiah, this term besora. And the word besora, it relates to the, the flesh, that God has visited his people in the flesh, that it was the very body of Messiah given in order that this gospel could become a reality. So God provided everything. He gave of himself completely. And that's why he says, truly I say to you, that expression is to emphasize the importance of what he's going to say. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel, this gospel is proclaimed in all the world, it shall be spoken also what she has done for remembrance of her. Now, what he's saying here is this. She's going to be testified to throughout the world that she came and she had this. And the context is that this woman, being from also the Mount of Olives in Bethany, and Bethany, by the way, is a term that means house of afflicted ones. Those who are very poor, the word ani, like bet is house, bet ani, house of the poor. She had this very expensive ointment, perhaps all that she had of value, and she was willing to give it in recognizing what Messiah was going to do for her and for all the world. And that's what we need to be, people willing to commit everything of our, our very essence unto him for that gospel message, for the service that comes from the gospel, being involved as she was in things that God would say, that is well done. These are good works. These bring glory to me. So let me ask you, does that describe you? Are you someone that is committed to the gospel message as the Bible reveals it? This is what a true disciple is committed to. Well, I'll stop with that until next week. Shalom.
from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank you.